When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. the gates and ready to go hot by with honey withrow the friday edition has arrived we're glad you're with us as we stream live outkick.com slash watch is where you can find us live and as well as the other uh, programs here at outkick outkick.com slash watch you can also check us out on youtube uh in delay you can check out uh, the, the cuts the clips of all the shows there outkick just uh, search outkick on youtube chad good afternoon man good afternoon hudden excited it's Friday, yep. Yep. day two of our weekend on That's this right. show. I'm excited. Day ready two to go. of four. Yeah. Not bad. I uh, went home and watched Tombstone last night in honor of Davey and um, enjoyed it. Enjoyed the part. It where holds up. He said, I'm your Huckleberry. Enjoyed that part too. Watched it again just to make sure. Good. Just to confirm once again. I'm excited. I'm ready to go. I feel less like Doc Holliday today, but I feel like as the day goes on, maybe the coughing will continue again. We'll, almost, we'll see. Well, now I'm beginning the Oregon Trail. That's right. Yeah. I. Gave Hutton dysentery. Cholera, dysentery. Cholera, uh, black death. <laughs> There's just so much going on right now. Float the river. That's no. right. We're all, we're all, each of us have a vitamin C deficiency at this point yes. in time, too. Scurvy. <laughs> what else do we have? All of it. I feel like we just did uh, an Atlantic passage in the 1700s that we've just been in the bottom of a ship for months on end, trying to get from Spain to somewhere on the East Coast. And we, no, just, they just, we thought we found America. We right, they just opened up the hatch and let us out. And this is what came out, just two ghosts that have a vitamin C deficiency and are starved I for anything. I did have low D at one time. It was low D that you had, yes. Yeah. Scurvy <laughs> is from D. a vitamin C deficiency. And it was common on people that made passages on ships. Dehydrated. This I know. This I know. Chad, uh, what I know is Caitlin Clark is greatness. And she's also the example of name, image, likeness, the example of NIL and why the era of NIL is here and it's here to stay. I would think of her and Livy Dunn that come to mind immediately that profited after making a name for themselves. And in this case... She becomes the all-time leading scorer in Division I women's basketball history last night. Didn't take her very long. Uh, and on top of that, after two and a half minutes, uh, surpassing uh, the, the record set by Kelsey Plum, she then goes on to score, what, 48, or 48 points in a game, and she sets the uh, 49 points. She sets the Iowa all-time record for most points in a game. She is now 98 points away from Pistol Pete Maravich, which deserves mention but I will mention that Pistol Pete had three seasons and there was no three-point line. And speaking of the three-point line, the range. She shoots from all over the place. Between 30 and 35 feet, she is 40% on the season. That is insanity to me. And she breaks the record with a 40-footer, drains it, and then proceeds to go on and just post bucket after bucket. And she's also posting dollar after dollar. NIL for her. State Farm, Gatorade, Nike, Bose, Buick, H&R Block. The list will continue to go on and on. 
And while, you know, the pro basketball is in her future, the average WNBA salary, Chad, would you like to guess? Um, less than what she's making from Chrysler and Gatorade and all those companies no she's with right now. $150,000 is roughly the average. Yeah. And Agumba Wale is the highest paid player in WNBA uh, for this season at 234000 for the salary. And I don't know who that is. Well, so, I mean, that's well, that the, goes back to our point about Caitlin Clark. Yeah, uh, I don't know the highest paid player in the, in the WNBA. I, got, I've never heard of that person. You have uh, uh, cameras following her all around. I, I mean, I'll admit I'm not tuning in as must watch whenever she's on. But if it if she is on the television, I'll tune in. If she's on the app, I'm watching it. If I'm clicking on it, my parents have been watching her try to break this record every time she's on national TV. And whenever she's on, she she is must see. That's remarkable, considering that we didn't know much about her a couple of seasons ago. And then she broke onto the national stage in the postseason of last year. Chad, the, the Iowa program and how they have handled this is phenomenal. Sellout crowds, the audience that she's bringing in, and the dollar signs that she's bringing in, and earned, well-earned. For all of the naysayers about name, image, likeness, and it's ruining the sport... This is the reason that name, image, likeness, and players being able to profit off of NIL is here. And it's not going anywhere. Because you may be able to spend a ton of money in recruiting or the transfer portal from the just very narrow view of college football. And it's a wide, it's a wide view. But through that lens, there's a lot of money that's being thrown out to players who haven't done anything yet. And in the other sports, well... You earn it. And she is the example of being able to go out and get it. Well, and this is, uh, she's a legend. All right. First off, full stop. Watching her play is awesome. And we got to go on that ride during the NCAA tournament a year ago. We've seen it throughout the season this year also. So let's put that out there first. Yeah. Another thing I love about the story is this is not just some equal pay, even though you don't generate as much money type story. She is generating a ton of revenue for Iowa Athletics. They sold out her home games in Iowa City leading into this her senior they season. Had to, they had to pause ticket sales yes. at, at one point. She's selling out, and not just in Iowa. She was in Lincoln, Nebraska recently, sold out at Pinnacle Bank Arena in, in Lincoln to watch her play. I mean, it is a traveling roadshow to watch her play, not unlike someone that Hutton brought up, Pistol Pete Maravich. Back in the day. And with all due respect to Caitlin Clark, Pistol Pete averaged 44 points per game right. without a three-point line. So he's in a in an era all to himself. No doubt. No doubt. And, and in a category all to his own. But she is absolutely breathtaking to watch play the game. I love someone who, in a big moment, right? I'm, I'm watching a little bit of uh, Tennessee versus South Carolina women last night leading into that game. Yep. And they're going live to Holly Rowe, who's courtside, getting ready for the game to tip. And I'm watching her on ESPN, and hey, the arena's buzzing. Caitlin doesn't seem to have any nerves. She's ready to go. She's eight points away from breaking the all-time record. Yada, yada, yada. We'll send it back to your game. They send it back to the game. The Iowa game hasn't even started yet. And I, I swear it was within two minutes. They have the breaking news on the bottom of the screen, and they show Caitlin Clark has broken the all-time NCAA record. She said, you know what, guys? Let me go ahead and knock this out with the first eight points of the game for my team in about two minutes and just remove all doubt about what's going to happen. And not only that, but the eighth point on that three, that 40-foot leaner that she makes look routine, yeah, was stunning to watch. She's awesome. 
Uh, I can't say enough good things about her. It's great for women's basketball. It's been great for Iowa. And I, I'm thrilled to see her rewarded for that. She's going to make more now than she ever will, more than likely, as an athlete, right? And that's – I don't know that that's fine, but I'm glad that she is banking in on what everyone else is banking in on with her right now. And that's her celebrity and her talent, and she's able to get a cut of that. Yeah, I mean, if you only counted the long-range efforts from three for her – She'd be tied for 17th in the country in attempts and tied for 39th in percentage from the long range, like the 30 feet. They don't play much defense, apparently, with some of these scores, these final scores. But, I mean, I'm hoping that they go and win the title in the women's tournament. Excuse me. I, I, I mean, I, I'm not excited at all in the women's tournament. That This actually wants – I'll actually yeah. tune in. Well, and the story something. with her versus Angel Reese a right, year ago. Right, Angel yeah. Reese, someone else who's made a ton of money yeah. on NIL, right? She was in the uh, – I mean, she, she's banked in big time. I want to watch the eventual documentary about this Iowa women's team, and I really want to hear about the other four players on the court with Caitlin Clark because when I watched them play, their whole system is just she has the ball and they all – flare out <laughs> and if she doesn't want to shoot it they pass it to someone who's wide open like it's just a bunch of women that catch it and shoot wide open threes or a layup because she decides to give it up because there's three girls guarding her at the same time it's incredible to watch how that offense functions just so solely orbiting around the greatness of Caitlin Clark think about how Steph Curry changed basketball from like the kids that were you know growing up in the Steph Curry pull up from three trick shot era uh, everybody wanted to start shooting threes, you know, in the in the YMCA leagues or whatever. Um, I wonder what she does now from the women's perspective yeah. or the women's game. Well, and that is the next uh, step. Go, it's a lot of layups. And I, I think while it's, uh, it's not many as we used to see, it certainly uh, could change drastically based on the way she's playing. Well, you know, she's going to be – I would assume she's going to be the number one overall pick in the WNBA yeah. draft. And, um, I mean, where does she go? And does she add to that league? Can she carry over this superstar celebrity status that has brought box office numbers to Iowa women's basketball that we've never seen before that's inspired a generation of young girls and women to play the game and play it a certain way, the way she does, the way Steph Curry yeah. inspired a bunch of shorter people to go out and start practicing a bunch of wild threes when, when he started to rise as a star? Does that carry over to the WNBA? I don't think it will. And that's an inherent problem with that league. But this is as good a shot as any to really bolster their profile because of her celebrity. Well, if anything, it, on the road, what could it mean for you well, know, the, the home teams hosting whatever team she yeah. ends up with? That's really the, that's the dollars and cents of it, right? She also could raise the salary average, you know? Yeah. Not and, knowing and the what, whole structure. We know that when she plays in the NCAA tournament, there's going to be enormous television ratings yes, relative to women's basketball, just right. like there was a year ago. I do want to see if it raises the profile of the entire sport. Well, like when she's gone, are those numbers going to stick around? Is Are people watching more women's basketball in general, or are they watching Caitlin Clark? Well, maybe, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. It would take another story like Caitlin Clark in the tournament. Right. Well, you got the uh, coach at Ole Miss who, who gets all pissed off because the writer reports that they've lost, like, what, $8 million? Yes. In women's basketball, and she's saying, well, he's got a narrative that he wants to, to, to put out there for people to know about, but she says, you it's know, just, we need people coming to games here, and they won't. Just turn on the TV on ESPN, and you'll see the popularity of women's basketball. And I hear that, and I think, okay, yes, 
I see the popularity of Caitlin Clark and of LSU at times and Angel Reese, but is that the popularity of women's basketball everywhere? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'd like to see the profile raised of it, but I'm, I'm not sure that's the case. And I'm definitely not convinced that it's actually going to raise the profile of the WNBA. But here's what we know. She is a singular, legendary athlete. A force. And we are witnessing greatness when you watch some of her shots that are routine, that go down. It is fun to watch. I love it. There's really no negatives with this story. And that, that's cool to see. Oh, like it, It's just full-fledged and it, goodness and when it, you're watching it. Including NIL. You know, that's, that's, right. there's nothing. There's, I don't see a single person bitching about her making money. No. Which is also cool to see. Nope, I think nope. everybody universally, so hard to get a story that people can universally agree on. I think we can all pretty much universally agree upon the fact that girl is awesome. And if she can make more money now than she will playing professional basketball, have at it. Make as much money from corporate sponsorship as you can because we're enjoying watching your talent on television, in person, the thousands of people that have gone to games that maybe otherwise would not go to a game to watch her play. Have at it. I, I love it. It's, a, it's such a positive story. It's great. She's not going anywhere from the TV screen She's based not on the ads. She's, She's not, not leaving. I'm not, I'm not She's leaving. Not leaving. Uh, Sean Elliott said he's leaving as the head coach at Georgia State. He's now the tight ends coach at South Carolina. A head coach in college football leaving his team to begin a, a position coach, tight ends coach at South Carolina in the SEC. Chad, what is the harsh reality of this. So, Jeff Halfley leaves Boston College to be defensive coordinator for the Packers. I don't really bat an eye at that. Okay, I, I could see a lot of people making that move 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Boston College, not a great job in college football. Leaving to be a coordinator in the NFL, I could see that happening at some point. Okay, So, I'm not overly concerned about that one. But when I see a head coach at the FBS level, the, a bowl team, in Georgia State, leave to coach tight ends, not at Ohio State, not at Georgia, not at Bama, not at USC, not at Michigan, but at South Carolina, a place he'd coached before, granted. Ring, 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 ring. Those are alarm bells going off. And, and it's not for what you might think. It's not because I think the death of college football is happening because coaches can't deal with NIL and all of that stuff, and they're all going to flock to other jobs, and they don't want to be a head coach. I don't see any of that happening. Here's what concerns me, Hutton. It's the fact that this type of move by Sean Elliott, whether he says all the right things about Georgia State or not, and why he made this move, it's about family, it's about getting back to Columbia, South Carolina, whatever. What he's telling everyone is what we already know. Georgia State football doesn't really matter. Why? Because Georgia State football doesn't make money like the Big Ten and the SEC. Doesn't make money like the bigger programs and other conferences. And all that matters to the powers that be, conference commissioners, coaches, NIL collectives, boosters, everyone, is money. How much money can you bring to the table? How important are you? How many eyeballs can you bring to television sets everywhere? And if we are just making decisions based off monetary value, Georgia State, I'm going to go right through their conference, okay? And tell you the other one, Sunbelt. Sunbelt. Sunbelt Conference. Coastal Carolina, Old Dominion, Georgia Southern, Troy, Texas State, South Alabama, Arkansas State, Louisiana. These programs that have big alumni bases, players that have played there, some great NFL players have been produced out of this conference. They cease to matter. If your head coach is going to leave to coach tight ends somewhere. And take less money. Take less money to do so. They're telling you, I'm jumping off the Titanic. 
These college football programs that are subsidized by going on road trips to bigger programs and stadiums that are subsidized by state government or whatever, they're not going to matter because it's all for profit now. You're either making millions or you're not. And if you're not, I better get to one of the programs that makes millions. And the cost of that, while people may say, well, you know, who really cares about Arkansas State or Louisiana or whatever? People care about it, and we know that. But here's the real cost of it. There are a bunch of high school, middle schoolers, high school football players right now that will have less opportunity to get a scholarship in the next 10, 15 years if we go down this path. And we're headed down this path. I really think we're going to cease to have as many opportunities for football players moving forward because the cream is rising to the top, and it's not going anywhere. It's only going to matter about those programs that make money. And those players, are going to, everyone's going to make money, right? Everyone at those schools, they will make NIL, they will make money with the new rules, but Georgia State, Texas State, Arkansas State, we can go down the list. MAC schools, I, I think we're going to risk losing some of those programs just because they're not going to be able to compete and schools and states are not going to continue to throw money at them because they're not making any money. Well, think about the uh, the ripple effect here just from the staff. I mean, they, they well, and the program, yes, but like they, they immediately have to cancel their spring practice. Yep. And I mean, based on the the well, he did one over on them articles. It's it's not like they're just elevating someone. Um, they're going to go. They're going to have a search. I know. Full on search. And in February, you know, like. But like you know, it, it, there was always the other the, the cause and effect of all this. There was always, like, the moment uh, Georgia State's coach would leave to go take the head coaching job at um, Mississippi State, right? Like a mid-major to a, yeah. a high-major, let's say. Yep. That's a natural progression. You'd go and look at SEC coordinators. You'd go and look at someone that's a, a head coach maybe in a different conference, a young guy, and say, oh, that these guys make sense for that job. I don't know who makes sense for Georgia State now. Right? UCLA is in a bad financial spot, so they elevated a guy they think can get the alumni base buzzing, and they leave them on staff, and it's going to cost them less money. But I think the whole traditional path of how you elevate coaches and who you're going to try to attract for the next job, some of that's out the window because I don't think people really want these jobs as much anymore. Being a head coach at a place like, like this is not as desirable as it once was, as opposed to being an assistant at a big time program. Well, and I mean, they right now they're middle of the pack in pay. They Elliot was getting paid eight hundred twelve thousand dollars a season. He's making seven seventy five, I believe, at South Carolina. But that eight twelve is about middle of the coaches that are paid in the Sun Belt, which I found surprising. Yeah, um, not that he was middle, but like it was eight twelve is the middle, right? Uh, so that's what you have to do if you want to get coaches to take the gig. You've got to. Pay them a million dollars. But the problem is, so he's making seven hundred and seventy something thousand. I coach so, yeah. tight ends at South Carolina. That's, and the run game coordinator. They did that's that at too. South Carolina, right? Yes. It's good, good program, not great, but those programs now they all can attract and retain top coaching talent that won't leave for these jobs because the money's going to be about the same at some of these right. spots. So it's just, again, he leaves in part because South Carolina is safe financially in the future of whatever college football is next. And that's one of the big reasons he left. Well, we're going to see the, the, the next transfer portal cycle here. Trey Wallace with the story at OutKick. Um, it, chance it could be the wildest portal open yet when you consider what has happened since the last open, right? Yeah. Like the, since the last portal opening, where you have Bama, 
what they could do. Uh, of course, at Washington, Arizona, we just mentioned Georgia State. Georgia State, just look at it from the perspective of, I mean, you could transfer to another school around that same level. You know, that's how you get better at the Sun Belt or you get better in Conference USA um, it, from that perspective. But I mean, there are other examples here. But with all the movement and knowing, well, if you want to just stock the war chests, this is the time to do it. And it's some big programs at some high-level conferences yeah, that are going to be doing just players. that. Yeah, and I mean, in some cases, we're not really doing much in spring practice. Yeah, there's going to be uh, a shuffling of the deck chairs Michigan, going on. Michigan, Michigan as well. Uh, around college football. Michigan, I well, feel Washington, like. Washington. Right, Arizona. Uh, Arizona just had a change. I mean, there's so much movement that you're going to see a lot of guys. I don't know who the best players are at Georgia State. Right. But you better believe that if they haven't entered the portal yet and they got a chance to move up, there you go. they're going to be moving up. And no spring practice. Right. So, so I mean, it, it's... But also, like, if you're transferring now, you do have to... You can't enroll immediately, right? You've, that that time period has already passed. Is that right? Well, and that, that would, that there's would a window you. after spring practice. Right. That then you can just leave and enroll somewhere else. But you for would, summer. You would, for summer, though. Yeah. So you, would, you wouldn't be able to participate. Then no, by then, you've you got your... That's why, you would, that's why you want to transfer early or declare yeah. early. I know. I think you could, um, like anyone could just leave when they wanted yeah, and then say and then, they're in the portal when it's time. And then enter it, yeah. But, yeah, if you – what most will do is stick through a spring practice, even if they're pretty sure they're leaving, and then enter in the portal afterward in that second window. What it's doing for the NFL draft is, uh, I mean, you clearly see it's affecting the underclassmen. Uh, right now, 54 uh, underclassmen were – received an invite to the uh, the NFL Combine. 54 is about half as many as the average year-to-year. Year this is great. That head to Indianapolis. Now, this is a positive, now, I, I believe, for and, both. And I keep, think for both NFL and, and college. They, they, to 2014, for instance, they had 135 juniors at the Combine. Now they're down to 54. Uh, it... You, know, you have the extra year that you can come back, but also this is a direct result of NIL. And you're comparing what you can make where this is slotted. You're comparing what you can make uh, in a range of your day, late day two, early day three pick. You can see on paper what you're probably going to get, and you can compare it to what you can make to go back to school and you know play another year and potentially help yourself elevate to a, another round or two, which is maybe an extra million or two dollars the duration of a four-year contract. Yeah. Five-year contract if you're a first-rounder. Look, I think this is a win-win. Now, I'm sure we're going to have some, you know, scouting person, NFL GM, who would say, I'd rather have that running back at 20 years old or 21 yeah. and not 22 or 23 because there's more tread on the tire by the time they get there. But I would also come back and argue, wouldn't you rather know about that running back for one more year in college or if there's an injury issue? That's, that's creeping up. You want to know about that before you make the investment into them? I, I think it gives an extra year of evaluation for all general managers and scouts everywhere. And it gives college football a huge bonus because guys you become familiar with get to stick around. Now, if all of these players are just transferring on yeah. to a one-year stop, I think the, the benefit is diminished for that. But the players that are staying at the school they've been at the whole time or been at multiple years – to come back for another year for NIL that fans are familiar with, I think that's a big help to fans of those programs, the sport in general. And I don't think it hurts the NFL at all because they get another year of evaluation and can make possibly better decisions in the NFL draft the following year. Now, if a bunch of these players 
start getting hurt coming back for NIL in one year, then you're probably going to see a course correction where more guys are going to skip the money they're going to get one year in college if they think they're going to be a top three round, let's say, draft pick, and they're going to go pro. We had Jalen Hyatt on the show at the Super Bowl and talked just about this, and he laid out all the options he had, that he wasn't guaranteed anything at Tennessee, but there was discussion about what he could make. He was told what he can make to transfer to other places, and he made the decision he wants to start his NFL clock and go in the draft, and he was drafted in the third round. Now, time will tell whether or not that was the right decision. And we also don't, ev- don't know and will never know what would have happened to him coming off of a, Blit- a Blitnikoff award had he been hurt or not, stayed healthy. We don't know. But all in all, I see this story, and I read the headline and, and look at it, Hutton, and I think this is a win-win for both NFL and college. Well, it, it, it is, but... It's definitely affected specifically the offensive line. And this year in the draft is the year to load up. There are 70 offensive linemen at the combine coming up. 70. And that's because a lot stayed back last year. Um, they're also Players are also staying back because they can have health insurance through the collective and they can get the insurance based on uh, potential injury. Just to, you know, yeah. poten- potentially try to... Uh, Help them out if they were to, you know, suffer an ACL injury or something. You know what I think has hurt offensive line for the NFL more than anything? The hash marks in college. Well, that's I, been there, though. I know. But I think lately the coaches that are so the, – the, the trend in college football is the smarter coaches have found ways to negate any type of offensive line disadvantage by getting the ball wide quickly, whether that be run or pass. And you don't have that advantage because of all the extra room you have to the side in college football, yeah, right? Well that, I mean, that's, you don't have that in the NFL. That's why quarterbacks are worse and worse. Quarterbacks, but it's also I think, off, I think offensive linemen, they're just not asked to do as much or block as long in college football as they have been maybe in the past because offensive thinking, offensive thinking for so long mirrored the NFL in college football. I think now the NFL is having to mirror more college football thinking because of what they're given from college well, football. Well, but yeah, but Those the, are the options they have. The quarterbacks can't do it, though, because the, the speed of the defense is different because of the hash. And yeah. the investment on the defensive front. The investment now on the defensive front. Look at some of these defensive tackles now in the, the, on the interior and what these guys are getting paid compared to what we saw five to ten years ago. It was just Aaron Donald, and that was it. Uh, Chris Jones is about to get a boatload of money. Jeffrey Simmons has received a, bo- a boatload of money. You can, there's a lot of guys that are getting high-paid, uh, high-dollar, uh, and the development is better at that position. They're, they're more athletic on the interior. Meanwhile, I think it's getting worse on the offensive line across the board. Yeah, I think you could, you could win a lot of games if you became the Wisconsin or Stanford, a program that's known for producing NFL-level offensive linemen and you really worked hard to develop NFL offensive linemen. Not that everyone's not trying to do that, but if that became your standard, what people knew you for, I I think you stand to gain a lot by doing that because it's a problem right now in the NFL, and it's a problem because college football offensive line play isn't as good. And I think a big part, Hutton, is the reason that you said – Guys who rush the passer are simply more athletic and better right now. They have right. the upper hand. And not you can't just, block them. Not just the speed dudes. You know, like it's what what the what Chris Jones was doing in the Super Bowl. Yeah. You know? Um I I'm I'm curious about De- Devondre Sweat from Texas and what the 
scouting reports will be on him. You know, this is just – He's big. This is me nitpicking to a big extent, but I, I think a big issue is the lack of consistency with holding calls. Yeah. There are offensive linemen, I believe, that get drafted high in the NFL draft that hold all the time in college and get away with it. And they get in the NFL and they can't do it. They look good against top talent because they were allowed to hold for an entire game and it wasn't flagged. Yeah. And vice versa, there are other games where it's like, man, this guy looks terrible because they're finally calling a hold that he made the whole time, right? The whole thing about you could call holding on every play. I, I think there's so much inconsistency from college game to college game and then especially from college to pro on what is a hold and what is called and what's an enforceable hold and what isn't and all that. It's really blurred the lines of who's actually good at offensive line or who's actually good at holding. Well, and I mean, if you're not playing left tackle, I mean, you're pretty much just a swing guy now. You know, how many players in the NFL on the line are just known as for being – they can play it's every swing, position. Swinging gate. You can play center, you can play right not, guard, left guard. They haven't mastered one position. Tackle, right tackle to they're right guard. play every position. Yeah. Just move them around. Jack of all trades. I mean, you've got – and then you have uh, what we saw from Houston. They're, guys are getting hurt, too. Houston with C.J. Stroud, he, he had 11 different combinations of offensive line this year. I mean, that just doesn't set you up for much success. And he was still having a ton of success. Yeah. Which stands out. Uh, the uh, LSU running back, Trey Holly, um, arrested and charged with uh, three felonies, including second-degree murder, attempted murder, of uh, an argument that took place. There's two others that were uh, charged in this as well. And uh, Trey Holly, freshman, I believe, did not play more than the three or four game threshold. So he actually has this red shirt that remains. Um, so he didn't burn that. He only played, I believe, three games is where he appeared for LSU last year. Um, he's a definitely suspended. His attorney says that they look forward to their day in court. He will plead not guilty to this. Uh, thankful that there are just two wounded, not two murdered yeah. in this. That is attempted second degree murder and not charges of second-degree murder. I'm thankful for the two uh, that were not killed here. Definitely an eye-raising story when you see charges to this extent. But yes, going from attempted murder to murder uh, would make this a much bigger story, obviously. Yes. It's also kind of sad, but when I see major college football program, young guy arrested that I don't know who it is that hasn't really contributed. Right. I kind of meet it with a yawn. Yeah, that you it's unless kind it's of a, a star, it's like okay, well he'll uh, he'll get suspended, have to enter the portal. Now, if the guy is like charged with second degree murder and gets found guilty of it, and right something happens and he like comes back to LSU or they allow it, that's a that's a different story. But I I kind of yawn and say, well, let's see what happens in court. Also, oh, the guy didn't play that much, so I guess he'll now go to you know UL Lafayette. After after seeing his day in court well, happen at some yeah, point, if he's if he's that's charges if he's dropped, if or, he's dropped, yeah, if, definitely if he's, suspended or whatever, right? But. If he's not found guilty for it, um, Tiger Woods. I hate that I feel that way, by the way, but that's kind of I feel like well, where I, we are I mean, in college sports. Well, it sucks because we see it far too often. You yeah, know, I mean, we like, got Terrence Shannon at Illinois who's yeah. playing right now while he's actively been charged with rape in Lawrence, Kansas, awaiting his court date. He filed for a TRO, got it. So he had to be reinstated to the university, and the, the basketball program under Brad Underwood just said, okay, play. You know, you're, you're in school. Might as well play. We're not just going to sit you on the bench. You're our best yeah. player, so you're going to play. And, I mean, he's, he's playing. And Illinois is a team that could make a deep run in the NCAA tournament. So with that happening, 
and now with someone charged, not convicted of this, and it's someone who doesn't really play for LSU right now. Yeah, I just, I kind of. I mean, you've seen others move on situations that yeah. the, the big programs are going to receive the, this attention. But you see other programs. I mean, I'm just mentioning uh, Bama comes to mind for Saban, or something happens. Something happened with the guy, uh, the the recruit that got pulled over had all the you know marijuana and had guns, firearms on him. Uh, that was pulled over in Florida. Like it. Well, it's it's just, it's like a, I'm desensitized to it, and I'm conditioned yeah. to not care as much. Uh, a year ago, it's, when you have uh, a story that the possible number one overall NBA draft pick and the possible Naismith Player of the Year, Brandon Miller, is in any way involved with the actual murder. That took place. That's a much bigger story at the time because he didn't sit at all and kept playing. Off season with this, I, I guess we just say wh- where does it go and and what happens with a conviction or not, and then we'll judge from there. Well, and the stories of John Morant. Yeah, you know I, there are plenty over Man, the last John year. Morant. We need a timeline. Remember the old Bruce Pearl ESPN timeline. Yeah. I need a timeline of John Morant incidents that we can just update on the show whenever something new happens because I need a refresher. I need my memory jogged it's on John tough. Moran. I can't remember everything that he's it's been involved like, with and done. It's like Pac-Man Jones. Yeah. You know, oh, there are times, yeah, you look back and say, oh, that's right. Uh, Pac-Man did spit on a woman in a Murfreesboro nightclub. I forgot about that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he ripped the chain off Big Daddy Gaddy. Oh, yeah, that's right. John Moran's the same way. Yeah. Oh, he I did mean, hit that kid. Yeah, he punched that high school kid. That's right, in his house over a pickup game. Oh, he brandished he another weapon uh, on, a, on an ATV. At some point, right? Didn't that happen? I don't know if it happened I, before. Or am I misremembering? I don't know if it happened before or after, though. I need I need a timeline. I got to sort it out. Chad, keep your tabs on uh, Tiger Woods at the uh, Genesis Invitational. Um, he is uh, even right now on the round, uh, one over for the uh, for the tournament currently. Now two over uh, after uh, the fourth. Oh, he's through five now. Chad, uh, he's dealing with back spasms, and whenever I see this, I'm automatically thinking, man. Can we just get to Augusta? Can we get to Augusta? I know. I, know. I just want to see it. And, uh, you know, he's trying to, you know, make it through the tournament here. The last thing I want to see is for him to withdraw uh, the same way we saw the last time he was actually playing in a big tournament. Yeah, this is the, the death of my youth continues here. First, it was Tiger moving from Nike to TaylorMade. Yeah. Basically because he said it, Nike wasn't done with him. He just said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm old. I got kids. I, I felt like TaylorMade was more appropriate for me now at this stage of my life. And I'm thinking, man, I, I feel personally attacked by this when Tiger made this move. And now watching your hero, you know, growing up and watching golf for so many years, struggle to walk around a golf course because of back spasms and all the health problems he's having, I, I once again feel personally attacked. I feel bad for the guy. Like I'm watching I mean, him at times, and I'm, I'm thinking about how painful back spasms are. Yeah. And that he said, what, the last three or four holes of yesterday's round he was dealing with it, now this is happening Off again? Yeah, like just, can we just, a solemn prayer. Get to Augusta. Get to the weekend at Augusta. Like make it to Augusta healthy enough yeah. to walk 36 and play well enough to make a cut to where I can, you know, start watching coverage early online on Sunday at Augusta and I can stand and applaud you finishing all 72 holes. At Augusta, wherever you finish, I don't care. Just make the cut at Augusta. That's what I want to see from Tiger. He's, so you mentioned the Nike deal. Like, see, he's not even going to fight. It doesn't seem like the the TW logo. Which, in, in reading about this, it's interesting. Like Roger Federer uh, went after the RF logo. It took him two years to win that. Yeah. And Nike doesn't go down without a fight. No. And then uh, you've got uh, Kawhi Leonard, who ultimately he lost a lawsuit over the copyright for his claw logo. 
So that stayed with Nike uh, whenever he left for New Balance. There are other examples, too. Sunday Red, though, is not going to be available for sale until May 1st. Uh, Nike right now has 18 different items on their website that you can buy from the Tiger Woods collection. TW. Yeah, um, Davey was also telling us that the Arkansas men's basketball team was wearing Tiger Woods shirts from Nike, coaching in an Arkansas Razorback Tiger Woods branded shirts wow. in the game just the other night. So that's nothing stopping them from continuing to sell the Tiger Woods collection, oh, even though he's got his it. new tailor you know, they're, they're, yeah. uh There's definitely one of the, uh, the insiders here for uh, Front Office Sports says, there's definitely a history of Nike saying, wait a second, you all just can't walk out the door with all the value we helped you create. And so they fight it. So where they, they own the TW logo. But yeah. Tiger's quote was, I don't want it back. I've moved on. Well, by the way, it's, it's tough to blame Nike for that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they both helped each other, but I mean, Tiger became a billionaire in large part because of Nike. So you don't get to all the design well, team he, that we had that came up with stuff. You don't get to just take that with you wherever you Woods go. Woods' company uh, owns the TW logo, but it's all through the Nike. And I, I understand why you don't want to just carry that over because you want, you want everyone to buy the new product, right. not just know that. It's like the oh, new jersey, oh, the I'm new already, logo. I've still got the TW. It's why teams change jerseys. You don't want to buy the new stuff and not the old stuff. Yep. You want to double down on what people are going to buy with merch. Absolutely. Now that's, that's the thinking. So my fountain of youth is just to go buy the old Nike Tiger Woods stuff. You that's can still right available. Now. Yeah. That's how I hit the reset button and get younger again. Just buy the but old also, Tiger Woods stuff like from if Nike. You, if you use the TW logo now. Or do I go full into TaylorMade? If it, well, I mean, that's up to you the on that. The dad brand. Dad line. The dad line. Sunday, Sunday If it's red. not available until May 1st. And he was wearing a TW type logo for his Sunday red. You could still go buy the TW product right now until May 1st, the old product. And you, they could continue to sell it too, I'm yeah. sure. Um, how about the news with uh, Jimmy Garoppolo? So he suspended two games for violation of the uh, uh, performance enhancing drug policy, where he did not turn in or get something cleared. Uh, whether it's prescription or not, through the league. Suspended two games. Here's why it's important for the Raiders. This from uh, Spotrack. Garoppolo entered 2024 with a fully guaranteed $11.2 million salary and $11.2 million roster bonus. That's due March 17th. His two-game suspension for PEDs almost certainly will void those guarantees, allowing the Raiders to release him with just $17 million dead cap and freeing up $10 million for free agency. Oof. He's getting cut. Yeah. They're just going to bite the bullet on that low figure, and it will free up $10 million. And Jimmy G, because of this, is, well, suspended two games, but it doesn't appear as though he's going to be uh, playing two games for Las Vegas next year. Safe to say this is the happiest the Raiders have ever been about a positive drug test involving <laughs> one of their personnel, right? Of I would say so. The, of all the positive drug tests in Raiders history – they're more excited about this one for Jimmy G than anyone ever. Chad, we know Vegas knows. They always know, right? Oh, yeah. Um, they made money. But I'm hearing a lot of discussion that the sports books didn't make a ton of money off the Super Bowl. Todd Furman knows. Todd Furman always makes money. Todd Furman joins us next on Hot Mike. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, the back spasms, well, they ended the tournament for Tiger Woods. Sucks. He's withdrawn. I to the cart. How many it. holes did he make it through, Colin? Death Six, of my youth. five. Five, five holes today. Holes. I commend I commend him, by the way, Jack. Yeah. He's, I mean, you've got Tiger who just refuses to lay down and just say, ah, I'm done. And it's got to be embarrassing as well. But just knowing your, yeah. your, your capacity for competition. And you know and that he greatness. felt like hell this morning no and doubt. still tried to make a go of it and then couldn't get through but five yeah. holes. You know who didn't feel like hell yeah. this Saturday speak, morning before the Super Bowl? Great greatness. Is Todd Furman because Todd Furman is so committed to his craft. Yes. That he left, like all expenses paid, Clay Travis picking up the bill, left early to go get ready for his show the next morning. Todd, I commend you. Bet you the are board. A professional Bet first the and foremost. I am, I am so honored to be your friend. What's up, Todd? Well, look, boys, there is no such thing as a free lunch with Clay Travis. So you guys will pay for those extra three hours of partying that I decided to leave at midnight, the guilt trip that comes with it. And let's not sugarcoat any of it. You guys got to spend more quality time with my better half. She's a hell of a lot more fun at nightclubs than I am. I left at midnight. She was there beating the drum and burning the candle at both ends till about 3 a.m. She's outstanding. Um, you did very well for yourself. I'll also say Shaq Diesel, DJ Diesel, yeah. was great on the ones and twos. Just amazing. <laughs> really kept the party going, Todd. You missed out on Shaq. <laughs> hey, I mean, look, I've done enough damage at nightclubs over the years <laughs> getting into this scene when I was 25-ish, waiting until 4 a.m. for... Some of the highest profile DJs that come out. It's a good thing that you guys got a little bit of exposure to that. But it's a question of how much the two of you actually remember collectively from what transpired from, say, 1 a.m. until you meandered back to your hotel rooms at opposite ends We of the traded show. our happiness. We, we traded happiness the next day. You're correct. Yeah, between two of us, we remember everything. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's our I side That's the way to look at it. Yeah. I thought Todd left because I was annoying him, trying to get like the behind-the-scenes... A bought a, a handle of Tito's. Todd pulled out the the, the, the oh my god, was it sixteen hundred dollars for a handle of Tito's, Todd? I mean, I think a handle was closer to two thousand bucks that <laughs> night. When you talk about beachfront real estate oh during peak holiday weekends, but yes, it is not a bad business to be in when you can buy retail bottles of Tito's for about twenty nine bucks. And I'm not even going to do the monkey math in my head to resell them for yeah. two thousand dollars. Uh, for all of the people watching, the star-studded atmosphere that is Super Bowl weekend in Las Vegas. But I'm just thrilled you guys made it back in one piece. Yep. Uh, I'm sure there were plenty of people who had other casualties while they were out here, whether it was sleep, whether it was their voices, or a variety of other ailments that they leave Las we Vegas. We survived. It's all, it's all those things. We're, we're still breathing. That's what matters. Uh, Todd, I feel like, you know, and we've been to a lot of the different Super Bowl locations, Vegas has to be in a more regular rotation. Because of the proximity to everything, uh, I, I really think that the city crushed it. You're, you're a Vegas native right now. What do you think about the city and its ability to host the game? And should it be in a more regular rotation? I mean, look, this city is built for big events. And when you talk about an influx of people coming from all over this fine country and everywhere else in the world for a game of that magnitude, it's your point with, Ro, you look at the proximity, you have entertainment options, you have food and beverage, you have hotels. 
you could theoretically walk everywhere on the strip the entire weekend and never have to get into a cab or an Uber, which is a heck of a lot different than what we've seen when you go to places like Phoenix, what we're going to see in Santa Clara two years down the road, LA three years. So I'd love Vegas to be on the NFL's radar every three or four years uh, because it is a city that's built for an event of that magnitude. And look, anyone who's not participating in the game had plenty of opportunities to enjoy all of the amenities that the city can offer. And even for those folks who found themselves lucky enough to score a ticket at Allegiant Stadium, look, you're not going off the strip for that either. So you can walk down to the game, take part in the tailgates. Uh, and I think it was a long time coming for the Super Bowl to make its way to Vegas. 57 previous editions before we made it a reality. Let's hope before we get to Super Bowl 65, the NFL comes to their senses and brings it right back to Las Vegas again. If you're not following Todd, you should be. Todd.Furman on uh, Instagram is where you can find him. You can also just go to bettheboardpodcast.com for more. Todd, where did Vegas really cash in uh, on the, the bets that were placed prior to the game versus the, the result? And maybe where did they lose money? I've, I've seen discussion about they didn't really cash in on the Chiefs winning here. Uh, and that's surprising to some. You know, it wasn't the best result for the house. Uh, I think when you look at the way the game played out, if the 49ers were able to convert on that final drive, the second and four that came up short, third and four settling for that long Jake Moody field goal. If the 49ers bled the clock down, got out of there with a win, the game stayed under the total along with a lot of the marquee player props, it would have put the books in the best spot possible. But what you have is a little bit of a role reversal there. Some books did get as low as 46 and a half on the over under the game lands 47. Wow. The chiefs took in a ton of money from recreational betters. And I think the other big storyline and player props don't move the needle a ton in terms of creating massive liability. But when a game goes over time like that, and you have a lot of 10, 20, 50, hundred dollar bets on a price tag of six and a half or seven to one, that was widely available for the extra period. I mean, that's where things start to spiral out of control. And the biggest individual player prop losses for the books, there were two of them, uh, depending on the shot. Patrick Mahomes winning MVP was a nice alternative bet to betting the Chiefs on the money line at about a 20% uh, upsell in that particular market. And then Travis Kelsey, one catch for one yard in the first half, yet still finds a way to go over his catch prop at six and a half and over his yardage number at 71 and a half. And when you look at the handle numbers, which was the total volume wagered on this game, we broke statewide records here in Nevada. But in terms of what the casino was actually able to keep uh, using industry terminology called the hold, you're looking at one of the lowest performing Super Bowls over the last decade. Why, why, did, we, why did we continue to see Kansas City as the underdog? I mean, I think when you look at the way that these two teams have been power rated all season long, the 49ers, the most talented from one to 53. If this game was played on Christmas, uh, the same day where we saw the 49ers lose outright to the Baltimore Ravens, the six point favorite and the Chiefs, you know, keep the Raiders from completing a forward pass for the better part of three and a half quarters, yet still losing outright as a double digit favorite. We've been looking at San Francisco more in that four and a half, five range. Fast forward to the Super Bowl. The Chiefs start to get hot down the stretch. Win back-to-back games as underdogs on the road in Buffalo, doing the same thing in the AFC Championship against the Ravens and the 49ers, you know, underwhelm in wins against the Lions and Packers. You did see the market react, but making the Chiefs a favorite in this game would have been too big a mountain to try and climb. And you did see, at the same time, a, a real dichotomy in terms of professional bettors backing the 49ers at prices in that minus one and a half range and on a cheap money line. And the recreational bettors and the general betting public going, you know what? We're not going to let this rare opportunity to back Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes in a game of this magnitude on the money line as a short underdog or even taking the two, two and a half points. 
pass this by. And there is so much of that group think that kind of factors in where people feel much more comfortable putting their head on the pillow the night before the game. And even Sunday, should it have been the wrong side in terms of the final score, knowing we went down with the best bullet in the chamber. It just happened to be Patrick Mahomes. But look, the 49ers, in my opinion, uh, you know, better team for the majority of that game. The Chiefs score one offensive touchdown over the course of four quarters, and that comes on a short field aided by the muff punt from the Niners. And if Dre Greenlaw, Debo Samuel, and George Kittle are able to finish that game at 100%, I think Kyle Shanahan finally got the monkey off his back. But alas, it was the Chiefs, and they continue to build this legacy and a dynasty with number 15 under center. I have no idea what this would pay. I know you probably do. If I would have bet the game goes to overtime, how much of a payout would that have been for me? Uh, about six to one. Uh, I mean, if you shopped around for a lot of the books that were out there to try and be able to do it. So you're talking about putting up $10 to win 60 and that bet right alongside, you know, betting yes or no, will there be a safety in the game? Two of the more popular bets because people come to Vegas or they want to watch the Super Bowl and they hope for close competitive football games. So they want to put up a little bit of money to make a lot. Typically, you'll get some buyback from professional bettors, and this used to be something that you could set your watch by as pros looking to put up, you know, 100 bucks to make 10, knowing how improbable it was to go past 60 minutes. But over the last 10 years, I mean, we've been relatively lucky. I mean, a lot of these Super Bowls have come down to the final possession. Uh, the odds of getting overtime have gone up substantially, and I'm very curious to see where this particular prop will open next year. Because if you look at that betting market on a Sunday throughout the course of the season, even for a game with a two-point favorite, I mean, you'd probably be able to get a price closer to seven and a half or eight to one on overtime instead of paying a premium to bet it in the Super Bowl. What's the craziest prop that you uh, had to, to place a, a, an over/under on? And I mean, to me. And over under for how many times they're going to cut away to Taylor Swift. I'm taking the over, right? I, 11 and a half. Is that what it was? I, I, I know it's different elsewhere compared to. I think they yeah, went 11 I, times, though. I mean, some of the books, uh, that's something that you have to find in offshore markets more so than regulated jurisdictions. And I think it's always interesting because books will try and stipulate shots of Taylor Swift when the broadcast starts versus shots of Taylor yeah. Swift, you know, over the course of 60 minutes. And if the 49ers win that game in a blowout, I think you're comfortably cashing the under deep into the fourth quarter. But when you get overtime working in your favor, Travis Kelsey starts to go off in the second half. That quickly becomes a slam dunk. I think some of the hardest bets, though, in terms of trying to grade out Gatorade color, if you don't get a clear shot on the broadcast in any capacity in terms of it being clear or purple or whatever color that's there. And the real controversy that should hit, should hit home for you guys right there in Nashville was the length of the national anthem with Reba singing and then elongating those notes at the end, hovering right around that over-under that opened as low as 87 and a half, got bet up to 90 and a half. Uh, and if she doesn't sing Brave twice, I mean, there's a good chance that you have a legitimate controversy in faraway places. Todd, Amazing. Todd, how hard is it to handicap college football futures for national championship for playoff, given the state of the transfer portal and knowing there's a second portal window so when that season ends and you're trying to look at what's going to happen and not knowing at all where, you know, 10 years ago, you'd know a lot more, at least think you would, about what the team would look like coming back. How difficult has it made that on, on your job and everyone in Vegas? It's gotten a lot more difficult, but at the same time, it has also created opportunities because I think books are working from the same level playing field as betters, trying to figure out which players have changed rosters, which players are going to make an impact. And to your point, Chad, we don't know who's going to be on these rosters when these teams come to fall camp because we're going to see another transfer window during the spring. 
But because books are so desperate to try and create a little bit of content, and rightfully so, and give you know a lot of media personalities plenty of talking points, we have win totals and game of the year numbers earlier than ever now. And it's not just for some of the marquee schools. I mean, if you wanted to bet Colorado against North Dakota State on August 31st, you can find a number on that. Now, you're not going to be able to move you know, four or five figures through proper channels to be able to make that happen. But it just goes to show that odds makers are in scramble mode. You're going to see win totals on a lot of the preeminent programs. Uh, and it's always a cat and mouse game in terms of who can get that nugget of information and try and be able to monetize that, whether it's the house or the player. Uh, and I think that's what makes things so fascinating as you try and get out ahead of it, but at the same time know that there's a little bit more inherent risk that these rosters are going to look significantly different now as we sit here in the middle of February versus what they will Labor Day weekend when we actually get to see these teams on the field for real. Todd, in college basketball, I feel really good about three teams. UConn, Purdue, Houston. And I think there's a slight drop-off and you get to those other teams, possible number one, number two seeds in the tournament. But I feel really good about those teams, even though I know, especially Purdue's history under Matt Painter in the NCAA <laughs> tournament, right? So... When you're looking at odds right now for cutting down the nets, what are you looking at as value, and what do you see with those three teams in particular that I just threw out to you? You know, I think you're a lot more optimistic about Purdue, but maybe they take on a similar tenor to what we saw with Virginia when the Cavaliers bowed out unceremoniously as a number one seed to UMBC and then got every break imaginable en route to winning the national championship and took away some of that sting of being the first team in history to have that happen. You look at UConn and uh, look, this is a team that brought back some key components of last year's national championship team. And there was nothing fluke-like about the run that Danny Hurley's team put together. I mean, I had a chance to see them twice out here in the Western Regional uh, in terms of knocking off Gonzaga to try and get there, you know, taking care of UCLA as well. And when you look at the way that this UConn team has gone about their business, there's a reason that they are highly regarded in the analytics community as much as anybody else. I have some concerns about Houston, and I think Calvin Sampson deserves a ton of credit. This group will be a lot more battle-tested, having gone through a Big 12 schedule compared to the American Athletic that we've seen. But they still don't shoot the ball that well. And if they run into a team that can rebound and they're not able to create some of those second-chance points, we've seen them bow out a little bit earlier over the last couple of tournaments than we expected because they just can't get hot from the outside. And we've seen over a 40-minute sample size, all it takes in the modern game is one team to go lights out from beyond the arc, and it's good night, sweetheart, for some of these have more heavily favored teams. When you look a little bit further down, I think the real question is who is going to emerge atop the heap as far as an SCC team that's truly battle-tested that can make a deep run? I mean, we mentioned Matt Painter and some of his struggles in the NCAA tournament. Rick Barnes, unfortunately, has that stigma attached to him as well. We look at Alabama that can score with anybody, but again, so reliant on the outside shot. And an Auburn team that if they're able to translate how well they've played at home and dominant performances of late, we saw them getting revenge uh, in the Iron Bowl of sorts against Alabama, a complete effort in a 40-point drubbing of South Carolina as a double-digit favorite, and they'll have a chance for another big win in a game where they'll be heavily favored over Kentucky tomorrow too. So you wonder of all those teams, who can put it all together uh, and get hot at the right time? I think the Big Ten is down. I don't have any expectations for that conference doing a whole heck of a lot. And if we had this discussion a couple weeks ago, I'd have said the veteran leadership in North Carolina left me brewing with confidence. But, I mean, this is a team that's been erratic at best. 
And I think the tournament, like we always say, is as wide open as ever. And you may want to take the wait and see approach because a lot of the futures numbers that you see now may still be available when the field of 68 gets announced. And so much of the sport now, as we look at it in 2024, is matchup based that there will inevitably be a team, you know, seated somewhere between six and 11 that's going to get a much more favorable draw that has a chance to make a deep run from one of those power conferences. Todd Furman with us, Bet the Board podcast is a, a definitely a, a must listen. Two quick ones on the way out here, Todd. First, have you been to the Sphere and what show did you see? I have not been to the Sphere and I actually debated because the U2 tickets after you guys left town, the Saturday night before the Super Bowl, it was the cheapest Sphere ticket that we had seen at 70 bucks to see U2. Wow. The good thing is they're doing a number of different events. Uh, I think there's some nature movies and everything else. Now, they want to charge you a premium to get in the, in the venue, uh, but I am anxiously awaiting my debut trip there. Unfortunately, it might not come till the NHL draft is out here during the summer months. And when is the NBA going to have a franchise there? Sooner rather than later. Uh, I think uh, the NBA is when they look at the expansion, you're going to get two new teams. Most likely Seattle and Vegas will come into the league at the same time. And there's already talk about where the arena will be. It'll be a little bit further off the strip, uh, right along Blue Diamond and, you know, I-15, which makes it easier for locals at a major thoroughfare to be able to set that up. And I think LeBron will be a big part of that ownership group. So I would say as we sit here now in 2024, that the NBA in some capacity will be in Vegas by 2028. And maybe the impetus they needed is the NHL announcing, announcing potential expansion, which I think will come sooner rather than later for that league getting a franchise in probably Utah with a joint project with the Utah Jazz. And because it's worked so well each of the first two times the league has tried, I really think they're desperate to get in the Atlanta metropolitan market, knowing that it's the largest media market in the States that still doesn't have the NHL. Chad, if Le LeBron's there, that means Bronny will be there. Bronny will be there uh, also. I mean, look, boys, Bronny's having a hard time making an impact I playing know. at USC. So I'm not sure what Bronny's role is going to be. Uh, as a member uh, of an NBA roster, but there is no doubt I'm sure LeBron wants to take the floor with his son. Yep. And look, LeBron has earned it, even if his son won't be able to match his dad's lofty statistical dominance uh, should he get a cup of coffee in the league. Todd Furman is the best at what he does. He's a human computer. He is. That's how I describe him. Todd, get he, back to studying. It's amazing what this guy knows. Hey, look, we got a full slate of NHL games. I'm looking at the screen right here. I was looking forward to trying to catch the final 9-12 to 12 holes, the Genesis with Tiger, unfortunately withdrawing there. So we'll see if we can find a little bit of a live betting opportunity. Although Patrick Cantley seems to be on one this weekend, and we know he's performed well at Riviera in the past. Tiger Woods, he's made six official starts since the car accident. He's finished 72 holes just twice. Mm. Missed one cut, and then he had now three withdrawals. That sucks. Yeah. Half, uh, half man, half machine, Todd Furman with us once again. That's right. Uh, hey, Todd, you're the man. Thank bet you, the board always, a, always a pleasure, gentlemen. Enjoy the weekend, and uh, make sure you tune in a little Daytona 500 because uh, Rubbin is racing Sunday afternoon to hey, kick off the season. Thank you and a busy day for doing this with us. We really appreciate it. Yep. Always a pleasure, guys. Always great jumping out with you. Thanks, yeah, Todd. Todd Furman. Bettheboardpodcast.com is where to find more of the uh, comp human. He really Half is. computer, half human. Oh, and uh, some of the questions we used to hear him be asked. Well, I've never heard I mean, he, him not he have an answer, answer to for something. everything. And I'm like, is there something in front of him? Did he have the, what is the, the iPro, the vision pro thing? <laughs> like, was this before it happened? Did he have his own sphere in his head that he's looking <laughs> yes, at the screen the whole time? I know he's got something in front of him, but if he's typing, I don't ever see him typing. No, 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 no. There's no way he does that. I mean, it, it's incredible. Yeah, it's, uh, he's outstanding. Chad, uh, coming up, we, let's react to Tiger Woods withdrawing from the uh, Genesis Invitational. 
Uh, plus, there is a commissioner who is, well, letting us know when he's going to be stepping down. And I can't wait. Yeah. It's, it's a cause for celebration when it happens. Plus, Dane Bradshaw joins us in 15 minutes on Hot Mike.